Welcome to the Gym Session, brought to you by Sportsmate Mobile and Footy Live. It's time to chat all things football with your host, Jimmy Sabo. Hello and welcome to your Round 8 Gym Session. I am Jimmy Zabo. It's Tuesday the 28th of July 2020 and uh, well the only reason I know what day it is really is because 20 straight days of footy starts tomorrow. Um, And that's going to be pretty much uh, the only way me and the rest of you footy fans I'm sure will be able to keep track of days during this second season of lockdown. Uh, yeah, well, the sequel, it's never good as the original, um, apart from maybe Home Alone and Back to the Future. But th- this lockdown, I reckon, is like the equivalent of the Taken franchise. You know, like Taken 1, it was, was, was okay, it was pretty good. Taken 2, we're like, nah, we get it now. And then if there's a lockdown 3, like with Taken 3, we're going to be like, all right, enough is enough. Come on. How long <laughs> is this going to go for? How many lessons does Brian have to learn before he decides to stay out of trouble? Um, but thank God we've got footy. And uh, thank God I've got a ripper guest for this week on the podcast. Um, well, yeah, you'll see it on the pod description anyway, so I might as well reveal it. Um, I always forget that. Another podcast too I listen to, they do it as well. It's like they try and leave you in suspense for the guest who's uh, who's going to be on. Um, even though if you've if you attended at least a couple of days of primary school, you should be able to read the title of the pod to know who's featuring. It's Ahmed Saad, uh, surprise. Um, I actually can't wait to talk to the ex-St. Kilda star, um, he's going to be an absolute um, blast to talk to. I've heard him in other interviews, and he always um, gives us a lot, so I'm excited to chat. And I'm also excited to give you a round recap of uh, round eight with our wonderful round recap we do every week. Here it is. Finally, no sun for Gold Coast as they got their first taste of night footy on a Thursday. Too bad for Stuart Jewett to dog eat Sun's world, and another close loss will be hard to David Swallow. The number one pick from Gold Coast inaugural crop has seen it all, but dealing with a last-minute defeat would require an ice-cool beverage. Dogs by five points. Green shoots and scores was the cry on Friday night as Toby kicked five and the Giants finally created a big, big sound. The Richmond midfield was bolting towards the goal, but came up short. Jaden tried his best, but lights at the end of the tunnel are looking a bit dimmer. Let's see if the Tigers decide to stack it next game. Giants by two goals. The Roos and Blues both looked like they'd lose, but Carlton wanted it more. Callum had two touches in his first game as a bagger, but was part of a long list who didn't place bets. Whoever gambled on North would have lost money. Blues by seven points. Sydney v Hawthorne was like an episode of Farmer Wants a Win, featuring Tom Papley milking or running with a fox. It wasn't Will's day, but he tried hard, Wick, who couldn't help his side transition from the back. Clarko cracked it at the umps and horses men, but they couldn't put Alistair's team back together again. Sydney by seven points. The Saints were blessed in the city of churches, nudging up two wins in less than a week. They had the power to run and gun on Saturday night with a butler cleaning up the crumbs, a marshal as the highest ranking soldier, and a rider jockeying for position all day. Port looked stuffed with a heap of wines, butters, and a power pepper making it hard to move. St. Kilda by five goals. The Crows and Dons was a tight one, but Essendon won on merit. He had 33 disposals and 9 marks, while Cahill scored 2 and cheered up the whole parish. Bombers by 3 points. The Eagles finally landed with their hunting of the Magpies. Kennedy wasn't joshing when he slotted 7 straight, while Brody needs to my check his goalkeeping technique. The Pies weren't crisp, they were pretty soggy, which is pretty disappointing when you pay a lot of bucks. West Coast by 66 points. The Demons are about as consistent as the umpires, who were once again sloppy in a wet and wild ride on the Gold Coast against Brisbane. 
The D's finally had a look at what was in the fridge, but it wasn't more than a couple of berries or even anything rich. Lions and his pride of lions got over the line by four points. It was raining cats and dockers on Monday night and the game was as messy as Grindmeyer's hair. We had a close start with Bradley kicking the first goal of the game in his debut match, but the finish was just so wrong, but so right for Geelong. 32 points, the final margin. Yes, a huge weekend of footy filled with uh, new contenders and pretenders. It's it's hard to know what else the season is going to serve up to us because we've we've nearly seen it all. Um, although, yeah, I kind of wish we didn't see last night. It was a bit of a snore fest. But in saying that, that is not because of the state of the game these days. Uh, it was because of the weather, which, by the way, people on Twitter, rain and stormy weather has been around for a while now. It's not something new. Um, so I'm just sick of it. I'm sick of the state of the game talk. It, it really, yeah, it annoys me. Anyway, we had some exciting footy on the weekend as well, um, but it wasn't as, as exciting as how I'm feeling now as we get to the next part of this podcast. Yes, Jimmy! All right, our, uh, our guest today is an absolute star. As a player, he gave it his all on the field. He played with passion and excitement and became a cult figure due to his commitment to the club. He played 33 games for St Kilda and kicked 48 goals during that time. He won the Best First Year Player Award in 2012 for the Saints and had two Goal of the Year contenders during that season as well. Off the field, his list of achievements is even longer than his run-up. He's extremely well-liked and respected and his work with AFL's Multicultural and Bashahuli programs has brought him a heap of praise and success. It's none other than Armand Saar. Imagine he's 19, Saints have kicked the only four goals of the match. They have been dangerous when they've got it in there and they are again. Saad, Mills already kicked three. The red pad have started well. He runs in and puts it through for another. Welcome, mate. Thanks for coming on. Thanks, mate. That's a, that's a great intro. <laughs> no worries. So far, so well done. <laughs> Pump yeah. me up. No worries, man. Uh, life in lockdown. What's keeping you busy, mate? Netflix, watching footy, the little one, work. What, what yeah, are you doing? Yeah, mainly the little one. Yeah. Um, yeah, he's two and a half, so yeah. he's bouncing off the walls. It's hard for him to understand. You have to stay inside. And <laughs> all the parks are shut. And so for him, it's, it's just trying to keep him occupied. And um, he um, he probably runs me down more than I run him down. But... Um, <laughs> He's going good. Um, moved into a new house over the last couple of months, so doing bits and pieces around here, and um, that's been nice. Other than that, a bit of work um, as well, working three days a week uh, from home, plus the programs that we get to do, whether it's online or face-to-face just before lockdown. And, um, trying to stay fit, trying to do a bit of running, and um, got my garage turned into a little gym, so that's been keeping me busy as well. Brilliant. What about the running? How, how many Ks are you doing a week? You, you're a very fit um, man back in the day. Yeah, what about now? Yeah, I'm more of a short, um, hate long distance. Yeah. <laughs> the short stuff. I'm um, known for my speed. So, yeah. I, um, yeah, I don't really clock up a lot of Ks. I just try to do what I can just to, you know, stay fit and just more of a sweat up, just a bit of cardio so I don't get fat because I've been watching a lot of Netflix and eating a lot of junk food. Yeah, night, brilliant. So. What's, on, what's on Netflix at the moment? What are you flicking through? Uh, just finished Kingdom. Oh, um, yeah. So it's like a... Um, it was a show about a family that all grew up around the UFC and wrestling and stuff, and it was pretty cool because I like sport. Yep. Um, and then I watched um, Snow Piso as well, and finishing up Colony, the Colony Now season three. So. Oh, brilliant! Then the three that I've watched lately. Yeah, nice. I just fin- I'm finishing Animal Kingdom now, so I got to I got to chuck it on the list. Kingdom's up next for me, so yeah, I'll give yeah, that a watch. Yeah. Yeah, Kingdom's good. Good show. Yeah, good. So uh, that work you were saying, uh, the multicultural and the Bashahuli program, so what does that involve? And is that what you're doing three times a week at the moment? Yeah, so mainly working at the moment um, on the Bachelor Foundation stuff. Um, so we've got some, had some programs just before lockdown. I had the Junior Academy 
um, boys program, which is told to 14 year olds. Um, so we had a three day uh, program with them where we, we used to have a residential um, program where they come in and stay with us for three days and three nights and bashes there, sorry, three days and two nights and, and bashes there full time and obviously get to, you know, go through training sessions, leadership sessions and learn more about their cultural identity. Um, and peak performance, which is all the stuff over their head, over the, that pretty much they need to use their brains for. So all the leadership sessions and, and stuff that makes them, you know, better people on and off the field. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're just trying to obviously make them, you know, leaders in our community when they grow up. And ideally, we'd love them to get drafted, but that's not always the case. And, and stats prove that. But far more importantly, just to you know try shape them as young as young leaders and, and obviously be great models in our community. So you were, you were born in Australia, you moved to Egypt at eight, played yep. soccer, came back to Melbourne at 14. Uh, how did that love of footy start and, and what kind of inspired you to devote so much time and energy into it? Um, well, yeah, I started um, footy when I was about 16, so I moved, as you, as you just said, moved a fair bit. Um, and then when I got back to Australia, I continued to play soccer, but kind of felt fell out of love with it because I kind of loved it in Egypt and I had all my close mates there and I felt like I was playing at a pretty good level there as well and I felt like I had to start all over again here and wasn't really enjoying as much. Plus, my mum couldn't take me to training because she changed jobs. So I was at school, moved to Roxburgh Park and then those guys at school all played obviously for Roxburgh Park Footy Club but the under-16s team at the time needed numbers to um, for the team, they were, they, um, they were going to fold that that year. They didn't have enough numbers, so they were trying to obviously get players just to come. So I said, you know what, I've just started to make friends at this new school. Um, all these guys in my year level, they want to play. I said, you know what, I'll just start playing. I used to play at lunchtime. I couldn't kick or anything, but I had really good speed and good hands, and I could jump. Um, so they kind of said, why don't you just come anyway? So I said, you know what, might as well. I'm two minutes away as well. I live two minutes away from the Oval, so I could walk back there from home, obviously. And then that's pretty much how it started, just filling the numbers and played that year. Um, absolutely loved it after that. And um, I'm the type of person that if I do something, I like to give it my all. And um, I try to be a perfectionist and I worked, worked my bum off um, that preseason to get better leading into the under-18s after that, and that's pretty much where it all started. Yeah, nice. And then you, went, you obviously went to the VFL and, and you played um, some very impressive footy. I heard that you, you spoke to a lot of clubs before that 2011 draft, and you initially yep. picked up by GWS, I think, as a pre-listed recruit. Um, yep. Can you explain the process of being drafted and how you ended up at St Kilda for the 2012 season? Yeah, so um, as you said, went from Russell Park to play VFL and I didn't really get an invitation or anything like that. Mm. I just thought, you know what, I feel like I'm too good for local footy. Yeah. Uh, no one's kind of reached out to me, but I want to go give it a crack and try just walk into a club and mm. ask if I could train and I did that. And David Teague, he's a head coach at Carlton now. He was the head coach at Northern Bullants back then when he was working with Carlton back then as well. And I just said, mate, can you just give me a run? I haven't been invited. Did you call him up or would you no, just rock up? No, I just up? went to training. I found out when they were training and I just rocked up that day. <laughs> yeah, that's all right. So I kind of put him on the spot. Yeah. Because um, I thought on the phone that there's a chance I could say no. Yep. But if I'm there, there's more of a chance I could hustle my way into a session. Yeah. And I did and got to train and they, they, they liked what they saw that night and gave me a preseason and ended up making the list. Played um, three years there. Um, first year I was missed probably six to eight weeks for a hamstring injury but played mainly reserves and then came back and played some really good footy after that and that's when I started getting noticed a little bit in my second year um, in the seniors and then my third year was obviously my breakout year and got drafted from there Um, and then so what happens with I got a call I was actually in Bali on a footy trip and then I got a call from 
um, my manager saying that the Saints are trying to pre-list um, the GWS are going to pre-list me, but then they're going to trade me straight to the Saints. So they're trying to do a deal for trade picks, players, and stuff like that. So I was never going actually to play for GWS. It was more of just a way to get in. With GWS was a brand new team that was the first year coming into the system, and they were allowed to pre-list ten players, mature age players that are either nominated for the draft or obviously over age, over eighteen. So that could that could um nominate them and then they could either keep them or they could trade them so mm-hmm. they ended up put, pre-listed me and Terry Malera and then traded me and Terry Malera to Saints for pick 20 mm-hmm. um, I think it was and then that way me and Terry got to the, that's how me and Terry got to the Saints and yeah. then um, through the, the GDBS way so I didn't have to go through the draft which is good in a way I didn't have to wait um, and I kind of got to say yes to the club that wanted me at the time mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, would have liked to know where I kind of would have went in the draft. But at the same time, I would have absolutely loved getting dra- drafted before it, where I didn't have to wait any longer, and I knew where I was going. Yeah, um, much more comfortable. Yeah, hundred percent. So you walk into that club, obviously, you know, full of champions. You've got your Nick Rewalt, your Stevie Milne, Lenny Hayes, Del Santo, Goddard. What was your, your first impressions when you rock up and you see a group like that? And did anyone take take you under their wing a bit and welcome you in? We'll be back after a quick break. Obviously, I was pretty lucky to go to a club with all those bad, pretty much a lot of champions. When you go to all, all different clubs, there's probably not as many, but there were so many high-profile players there that actually, you know, probably weren't probably the best players to play the game. So I was pretty lucky with that. And Stephen Milne was my mentor, and he's the one that took me under his wing. He's a small forward as well, and mm-hmm. um, he was someone that I kind of tried to follow around as much as I could and did a lot of work with. Um, so he was someone, and also Adam Schneider as well um, was the other one, who's obviously another small forward. So um, they're, they're the two that kind of um, looked after me a little bit, and uh, was really good to work with them. And they're obviously probably the best small forwards, especially Mion. He's probably the best small forward, to pl- one of the best small forwards to play the game, I think. Yeah, and their mentorship obviously worked a lot. I mean, your first season, you play 16 games, you kick 28 goals. You know, you're dubbed as the the excitement machine for the Saints. You know, life must have been feeling pretty good, I could imagine, at this stage. Yeah, it was. felt like I was on top of the world. Um, living my dream as a professional athlete, um, you know, playing for the Saints. We just missed out on finals that year, so we had some good games, and I played some really good footy. So at the time, I was pretty happy with my first year, and I was obviously looking forward to getting better from there. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, you're definitely a cult figure, I think, it, uh, for the Saints supporters, mostly because your ability to excite the crowd and that sort of thing. But also, I think uh, your, your trademark set shot, which is well documented and written about, I think you averaged about 28 to 38 steps, straight back, eyes focused on your target. It worked well for you. I loved it. Um, but how did, how, did that, how did that come about? I, I think you actually taught Ben Brown how to kick, which is good. But um, did you cop it from um, more from the crowd or from the opposition? Both. Um, but one, once I... It was really I needed obviously 
to have a set shot routine as a forward. And I spoke to my uncle who he played a bit of footy himself and um, he sh- he had a pretty good run-up as well. He's very accurate. Mm. Um, and so I thought I'll try to copy his one. And then so he tried to do his one and he takes 13 steps. Yeah. Pretty much the same approach in terms of the body and how we hold the ball and that kind of stuff. But he only takes 13 steps. I tried to do it, but I just felt like it was too short. So I just <laughs> kept walking, kept walking, kept walking. Um, and ended up, yeah, averages about 28 to 32 steps. I actually yeah. don't count. Yeah. kind of go back to where I feel comfortable. Yeah. And it's funny that every time it's kind of the same, um, which shows that, yeah, it's just instinctively working. Um, and then that was it. Just, just helps me focus, get my breathing right, um, kind of shut out all the noise, and um, it works. So that, yeah. that, that that's why I was pretty lucky. If it didn't work, I would have had to change it because, yeah, I was copying a fair bit of, um, <laughs> um, you know, stuff from the plays and, and crowds and stuff like that. But, yeah. Um, the end result was good, so which which kind of helped help help me shut them up. Yeah, definitely. Um, now I've I've heard you speak about it before. Um, I can understand it's probably not your favourite topic, obviously, to discuss. But I've heard you explain how your AFL ban actually taught you valuable life lessons and helped you shape um, the person you are today. Are you able to explain that time there, what happened, and and what came out of that process for you as a person? Yeah, I'll try to keep it short. Yeah, um, just because it's a long, <laughs> it's a long story, but what. Short story was I had a um, really good friend of mine who owned a protein company um, and we were trying to help each other's brand out when I was playing VFL. He had to get my name out there, I had to get his brand out there and I wasn't getting paid for anything like that. I was just literally doing it to help him out and I was using obviously his protein and stuff and then it was a pre-workout that I was using and promoting and um, unfortunately was a banned substance in there that I wasn't aware of and I was taking it before, I took it before a game against Fremantle and got tested and um, found out literally from the moment I showed my doctor, and that was probably my mistake that I didn't show my doctor what I was taking. And that's we're taught that as AFL players to show, uh, make sure you check everything you take and put in your system with the doctor to make sure it's all good. And just yeah, stupidity I didn't maybe because I was just a close friend of mine or a bit naive or um, didn't you know. That's probably where I can't obviously if I would have showed him that it would it wouldn't have happened. But it is what it is, and obviously I learned from that and. Um, yeah, got banned for 18 months. Um, it was a tough, tough time. Uh, it's pretty much like prison uh, for sports. So I couldn't even go back to Egypt to play soccer if I wanted to. Uh, it was tough on my family, tough on me, knowing that potentially my, you know, as I had a really good first year and this was halfway through my second year. All this happened. So it's a pretty, pretty important time for my development. Um, and I thought, you know, my career could be over. I've worked so hard to get here. Um, and by, you know, such a stupid mistake on my behalf, that could cost me my career and, and it was something that, you know, obviously I love doing, but also, you know, the money I was making was helping me and my family and um, my mum and my sisters. We're not, we didn't come from a wealthy, I don't come from a wealthy family, so that, you know, that money really made a big difference for my whole family. So it was tough, tough times and I just got married as well at the time. So my poor wife coming to our first year of marriage, mm. um, me pretty much going through all that, and she was amazing. Um, and my whole, I had pretty good support around me, which helped me. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was the hardest when Asada decided to um, reappeal um, and try to get um, me to get the max ban, which is the twenty four months instead of eighteen. Eighteen allowed me to miss just one season and come back halfway through the the pre-season of the following year so it didn't make it really wasn't much mm-hmm. but if it was 24 months it would have got me to really the start of this next season so i would miss a season plus a full pre-season and no club's going to pick you up yeah. if you can't join in the pre-season um so the 18 months was like okay this is this is good 
Um, it's positive, you know, try and look at it as a positive way. It's good. It's only one season and hopefully I can come back. But if I started to try to reappeal again at 24 months, when that was definitely my career over. So that was the hardest part mentally. Um, but also for my family, you know, I get my wife calling me and crying and my mum calling me and crying and saying, we have to go through this again. And mm. that affected me the most. Um, I'm happy to cop it all and deal with it all. And, you know, my name was getting out there, Saad takes drugs and all that kind of stuff. I was getting tarnished, um, you know, being, a, um, you know, a role model in the Muslim community and, you know, having my name out like that and being tarnished was pretty, it was pretty tough. But more importantly, it was more, it was hurtful because it was, I was letting my family down and obviously... Um, hearing them cry and all that kind of stuff and have to go through it all, that was the hardest part for me. I could deal with it on my own, but when other people I care about are getting affected, that's when it's hard. But, yeah, it was a tough time. I um, got through it. I worked my ass off to um, to train on my own, did everything on my own. Um, I had a personal trainer. It was my good friend at the time who I played with at the Bullhands, Adam Yakabuchi, and he... Um, it was amazing. He trained me the whole time, one-on-one. We, we did three... That's, we had kind of a... A plan on how we're going to, you know, tackle it because we couldn't go, you know, six days a week for seven, eight months. It's you're just going to break down by the time I hit preseason. So we just kind of had a little plan, mapped it out, and then um, we, we kind of went with that and we followed it the whole way. And and I, I got back when I did get back to the Saints. I got back fitter, stronger, um, and my all my PBs were. I beat all my personal bests um, when I got back to the Saints, which proved that I did a mountain of work with him. Um, and obviously on my own as well. So um, it was it was good. It was rewarding that I got to get back and, and play. Um, but that that taught me a lot of things. You know, it taught me taught me um, resilience. Um, it, it it was it was a time where you know I had to reflect a little bit on what I'm doing with my life and, and stuff like that. And um, I knew that for me personally, what I needed to get through, how I got through with that that time was getting my relationship closer to God and. And praying a lot more and, and, and all that kind of stuff and spiritually um that's what kind of held me in really good stead and knowing that you know everything happens for a reason um and i, I knew that god had a plan for me and whatever it was um, i was going to accept it um and i just made sure that you know my religious religiously i got stronger in my faith and got closer to god and um, i controlled what i could control which is train hard work hard um and then if i did get drafted well i did again and if i didn't well at least i could I could walk away knowing that I did everything I could possibly can and getting drafted was out of my control. Um, so I was ready when the time came and uh, lucky enough the Saints picked me up. Brilliant, man. I really appreciate you going into that as well because it's great to hear it from your mouth as well and you're an inspiration to so many people. You know, you're facing tough times and just like you said, you know, control what you can control, stay positive and, and everything happens for a reason. I just I just love that and I appreciate you getting into that. Um, no, no worries. You, you went into to play uh, footy at a lower level as well after your Saints career. You won premierships, I think, with West, West Preston Lakeside, 18-19. Yep. Yep. Uh, you won the goal-kicking three seasons in a row. You kicked a phenomenal amount of goals. It was like 231 or something like that in a, in a couple in the three seasons. Um, you've been described as the wizard of local footy, mate. <laughs> um, can, can you tell us about um, a little bit about the, uh, the local footy and what kind of um, impact that's had on you? Yeah, so playing, as you said, at West Preston, um, I've captained the side the last two years now, and we've gone back-to-back in premierships as well. My first two years as captain, and I'm co-captain with um, another guy, Nathan Valdera. So we've um, done a pretty good job, and we've been pretty lucky. We've got a really good group, and um, we're trying to change the culture of that club over the last three years since I've been there. And um, it's always been an awesome, awesome club, and it's got a really rich history. But we wanted to come in and create something special with the group that we have, and 
um, with the coach that we have as well, and, and we've done that. And it's, it's been really good to be able to pass on, you know, what I've learned in my short time um, in the AFL system to pass that on to to the young guys. And our and our group's pretty young as well. I think only probably three or four of us are over at an age of 28 or 29. The rest are all under the age of, I think, 24. So um, we've definitely got a good couple of years ahead with the, with, with this team. And um, it's been awesome. I've absolutely loved it. Just to go back and enjoy footy again and just play. Um, there's no pressure, no nothing. Just enjoy it. Um, so that, that's been really good. And I've got a couple of my good mates down there as well. And the club's been accommodating with, with making sure that I was happy when, and brought some players that I wanted to play with. And, um, yeah, I couldn't be happy at that club. Um, as you said, been pretty successful since I've been there. And, um, yeah, hopefully I can create a really good legacy at that, at that footy club. And, and one day Noah can play there as well and uh, wear my number and mm-hmm. um, walk around there pretty proud that his dad obviously made a bit of a, bit of a difference and created some success and, yeah. and happiness for the people um, around the club and, and that community. Yeah, awesome, mate. And before I get to uh, end off with the 10 quick questions, just have, have you been watching a lot of footy this season? You're, you're paying close attention to your Saners. They're going well. Yeah, the boys are playing really well. Um, so Brett Radden has yeah. been really good for them. Um, he's, he was a coach at the Carlton at the time. I actually played at the Bullants there. Yeah. Um, and I know all the boys loved him there as well. So, um, and from what, from, what I've, from what I've heard, the boys absolutely love playing mm. for him and you can kind of see that. Um, and how they're playing, and um, it's really good to see some see them get some wins and get some success now. So hopefully they can they can make finals this year, and um, and then obviously I've been watching the Bombers as well. So I've supported the Bombers growing up. Yeah. Um, so back back following the Bombers and supporting them as well. So it's good to have two teams that you care about to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, so that yeah, been trying to watch them a little bit, and um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. Who's the tip for the flag? Who's your tip? <laughs> Oh, it's pretty tough, man. Yeah. I reckon it's pretty even at the moment. Yeah, it's very even. Clubs. Yeah. Um, I think, I think a lot of yeah, tough one. I can't, I can't say. I, I still like Richmond. I still, like, I think mm-hmm. they've got four or five of the key players out. They're still playing some good footy. Um, I think West Coast will be pretty dangerous as well. Yep. Um, yeah, tough one. I like it. I'm a Tigers man, so I'm glad you said that. Thanks yeah, for that. I good. Reckon, yeah, Tigers are looking good. <laughs> good. I've, I've got to say that too because of Basher. So. Yeah, that's right. Exactly <laughs> right. Uh, all right, we'll end with 10 quick questions, mate, just to get a little bit more about you. Um, all right, we'll start off with your favourite food. Favourite food, steak. Beautiful. Favourite movie? Um, I'll go with Coach Carter. Coach Carter, that's a good film. Phone call or text? Uh, phone call. Mm-hmm. Do you have a favourite restaurant or cafe you usually go to? Um, favourite restaurant or cafe? I'd say I like I like Chinese. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll say Bamboo House in the city. Pretty mm-hmm. good. They make really good Sancho Bao there. Nice. I'll be happy with that plug. Um, yep. If you could live anywhere in the world, where would it be? I'll stay Australia. I'm pretty yep. happy here. That's good. Good. Uh, your dream job? Well, professional athlete. It was always a professional athlete, so I'll still stick with it. Yep. Uh, who is your idol? Michael Jordan. Nice. Did you? You obviously saw the Netflix documentary. How good yeah, is that? Yeah, I love that. Unbelievable. Favorite. Yeah. Uh, if you had to live with either, without either your phone, TV, or car, which one would you choose? Car. Car. Good. Uh, if you were starting a team from scratch and you could only choose Nick Rewalt or Lenny Hayes, who would you pick? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a tough one. Hmm. Um. Lenny Hayes. Lenny Hayes, nice. Very good. Reasons? Um, don't know. Just 
practice, yeah, I don't know, I, th- I love Lenny, I love, I think he's a, mid- a midfielder, I think it helps, mm. he's, he's a general, so is, so is Rui, he's too, but um, I don't know, I think everyone loves Lenny, yeah. and, and obviously Lenny, I think he was captaining before Nick was, so obviously taught him the ropes, so... Yeah. Um, I'll go for Lenny as yeah. more experience. Good answer. Even mate. though Nick was more captain for more games, but yep. yeah, I'll go for Lenny. Good answer. Uh, last one. What makes you angry, other than me asking too many questions? No, no, your questions are good. <laughs> um, makes me angry. Uh, um, I'm very impatient. So yeah. <laughs> I get, I get um, yeah. So anything that's kind of I have to wait. Yeah. Um, I know I'm a very curious person, so. Um, they're probably things that make me not angry. I'm not a very angry person. Mm. Uh, I don't really get angry much, but yeah, I'm more impatient and mm. curiosity kills me more than anything. Yeah. Um, that's that's yeah. a good thing, though. That's probably what got you your, your footy career as well, where you're going down to VFL level and saying, you know, give yeah. me a go. That's right. Exactly. I want to take control. Oh, I like to be in control. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, very good. I'm the same. I love it, mate. Uh, listen, mate, I can't, I can't thank you enough for coming on to have a chat with me today, Ahmed. Uh, you've given us a whole heap of insight into you as a person and definitely provided all the listeners with information you know, we wouldn't usually be privy to. So you're a true professional and a great person. Uh, thanks again, mate. Appreciate it. Uh, no worries at all. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. All right, Ahmed Saad, what a great guy and uh, some great info there for us all to enjoy. Um, let me know what you thought of the interview uh, at Sabo James on Twitter, uh, james.sabo at sportsmail.com sportsmatemobile.com my email um, or any of the footy live uh, social media platforms I'll be all, all over them we had a big email this week it was uh, it's my favourite one yet it's from Adam P. Montes who was always a, a great listener before when, when I was with Nick Guglielmino we did the Footy Mates podcast and he'd always get involved in the show he sent me a long email and uh, I've kind of cut it up into sections so I'll respond to, to each little part now he is an avid watcher of football he follows it uh, religiously and uh, he's had some thoughts. He's a Hawthorne supporter, and he wanted to get a few things off his chest, so I said I'd read it out today. Um, his first part here, because the media aren't going to shut it about Clarko not being able to shut it. In the Tom Papley scuffle, why didn't Mitchell get a free kick for being shoved? Way worse by Sinclair in that whole thing when Papley started it again. I just want to stop, push and shove. Got to go both ways. So, right, hey, mate, being enjoying the show, and I thought I'd weigh in here. I do agree Clarko, Clarko has to bite his tongue at the moment. His team is losing, but the point above kind of proves what he's saying. P.S. I think the shove from Frawley was there, not staged this instance. Milking free kicks is a part of an AFL's job on the field. There are some absolute stars who I've seen many, many times do that really well, e.g. Rance, Selwood, and Ablett, to name, name a couple that spring to mind. All who I like watching, but they do it, uh, nearly every single game. Sometimes the umps get sucked in on rare occasions and call it out, um, or the MRO gives them a fine for staging. Uh, as part of footy and the media are going to blow this up and go bananas over it um, because of some throwaway comment. It's like you point out normally, people are just in the hating rampage and reporting must be slow. Um, on that instance, I agree. I think the push wasn't a, wasn't a milk. Uh, it wasn't milking free kicks there, um, Papley. That was a genuine shove that pushed him over. But yeah, I do agree because Tom Papley definitely started it. He started it on Mitchell. He went up and and gave it to his face after he kicked the goal because what we did learn, um, uh, I think, it was a day or two later, whatever it was, um, that uh, yes, Mitchell was giving it to him in the pack, saying you've had a pretty pretty quiet day today, Paps. And then he uh, went and kicked the goal and gave it back to Mitchell. Um, there's no taunting rule that we have in the AFL. There is in other sports, like we see in the NBA. So I agree. I mean, he could have... I, I, don't, I wouldn't have paid the free kick for that because he ran up and pushed him. But he, at the same time, I don't think Frawley should have done that. Um, you've got to have... You've got to 
control yourself a little bit, especially in that situation. Get him get him fairly in the pack or even wait till the siren goes. You know, you're giving him two goals in a row. I think he needed a cool um, cool, cool ahead in that situation. Um, and milking is a part of it. I mean, if the umpires are going to pay it, <laughs> they just do it. And like you mentioned, all those stars that do dive, um, it is frustrating. But if they're going to get a free kick from it, they will do it. I don't like it personally. I think Papley does do it on occasions. But in that instance, it was it was wrong. Um, on that comment, I think Clarko is the absolute professional for deflection. I mean, there's—I don't even believe he—he he thought that was a—that was a free kick that was being milked. He just wants to chuck out a line, in—in in my opinion, that journos are going to eat up. So instead of them talking about the fact that Hawthorne have won, lost four in a row, they've just recorded the worst the disposal efficiency or kicking efficiency in 15 years of AFL footy, um, and they're going horribly at the moment to ease pressure off his own players i think clarko likes to chuck out a little comment like that which uh all the headlines throughout the week are going to be about him rather than his players that's just my opinion i think he does that um but um you went on to write adam one thing no media person has observed is that clarko lost his friend and original mentor in john kennedy he's got to be hurting and grieving maybe that's why he's a little on edge lashing out and maybe he's down and out um, in terms of his coaching at the moment. And to add on top of that, being away from home and not being able to process emotion um, would be a struggle. Like in the real world, people take time off for, for grieving, time off work for grieving. Yes, that is that is true. No one has mentioned that, and he hasn't spoken about that, I don't think, at length, or unless I've missed it. But that is a factor as well. Um, it must be a, a huge, huge struggle for him um, to lose someone like that, and the whole club as well. And on top of that, um, Shane Tuck as well, which he, which Adam did mention. Um, it wouldn't be an easy time for Clarko, especially for him being away from home. So that is another factor, definitely that that I like that I could consider. Um, in my opinion about what the Hawks are, what's going wrong, I just think at the moment the midfielders they're, they're currently possession accumulators and not good ball users. Um, the defenders can't tra- transition from half back, um, and there's not that young talent that's coming up really that you go, geez, you know, good times are coming. You know, that's that's what it looks like. And it looks a little bit odd that after playing uh, like a faster and more aggressive game style at the back end of last year, where they were generating, I think, the third most scores from turnovers, and they were still only conceding about 60 points a game um, at the back end. I think it was the last eight games of the season or something. Um, and they played that way during round one over Brisbane. Now they've reverted to like a slower and stale ball movement game style. And it's, it's disappointing I'd, I'd assume it's extremely disappointing for the fans, but disappointing for the neutral as well to watch games like that because when they were playing that faster style of play in the back end of last year and the start of this season, they were winning games and uh, they were competing. And now it just looks like... I mean, there's no doubt Clarko's got something brewing. He's definitely cooking something in the kitchen, but, but uh, whether it's going to be edible by the time, I mean, next season comes is, is anyone's guess, so I'm not too sure. Um... Adam went on to say, speaking of Shane Tuck, I was watching uh, his highlights, uh, some special plays in there, and some of the tackles produced holding the ball, a.k.a. incorrect disposal, like your guest Rob Harding pointed out. They're decisions that you never see paid these days. I think that's a huge, that's a really, really good point um, because that was his main strength um, 
Shane Tuck. I mean, one one game he recorded 14 tackles was ridiculous. And he would get them holding the ball for incorrect disposals. And those same actions these days were not being paid. And uh, yeah, Adam also mentioned that Bevo, he's on record for saying that there was a holding the ball interpretation change back in 2017. But that's not really talked about. It's talked about now because Clarko has mentioned it. And uh, he wrote, oh, that's right. A four-time premiership coach said it in a country that loathes successful people. So that's why... Adam believes that it was such an issue now. I think Clarko's comments have a lot of weight because he is the best coach in the game. So the thing is, well, he's got a huge responsibility, that means. So when he does say things, um, people take notice. And I think his comments led to, the obviously, the interpretation that we see today. I don't think he meant for it that way. And what he said was true. The, the holding the ball rule, incorrect disposal, is not being adjudicated properly. And they've just made it even worse now because players don't want to even go down uh, for the ball and get caught holding the ball now um, because it's so inconsistently paid. Um, I agree, and it's completely frustrating. Something that wasn't questionable was the Saints on the weekend. And before I get to them quickly, so make sure you hashtag the gym session on Twitter as well if you want to get involved. I'll read out uh, all your opinions and tweets and emails and everything you like. The Saints and... My God, how good were they? How good were the Saints? And they won, you know, prior to on Monday night, the Saints had lost their last 11 games at Adelaide Oval. 11. And uh, they beat the Crows on the Monday night. It wasn't the prettiest game, but then they bashed, absolutely bashed Port. Five goals that they beat them be- They beat them by, and they've won consecutive games in less than a week at a venue which they would have considered a ho- hoodoo venue. Um, and a lot of people are saying, look, these are the real. this is a real deal. The Saints are the real deal, and they're throwing it around. It, it comes on and off them um, a hell of a lot these days. But they're doing a lot to make that tag stick. Now, I'm not saying it yet because I know things can change pretty quickly. And I didn't have a whole heap of confidence that Port Adelaide would be able to go the whole season staying where they were. There was, there was going to be a time they dropped off, in my opinion. Um, and it looks like it might, might come soon, but the Saints were just fantastic. They, they domina- dominated the ruck contest, um, and obviously that means their midfielders get first use out of the middle, and they had they were plus 12 in clearances because of that, um, which, which helps a whole lot, especially when your, your team is kicking straight. It was insane. So 12 goals won they kicked, 12 goals won from 13 shots. So they became the first side in 120 years of football to win a game after scoring just one point for the entire game. And uh, funnily enough, 120 years ago, that was the last time they won a premiership. So, um, you know, look, accuracy like that um, and spirit like that has to be taken seriously. So you, you can put them down. Like, they're a finals lock, I guess you could say, at this point in the season. They weren't intimidated by the hostile environment, and that was a fantastic win. And uh, speaking of fantastic wins... It wasn't for me because I'm a Richmond supporter, but for GWS, um, it was a tight and tough contest on Friday night. But Toby Green was the difference. Um, there's no doubt. Now, if if the Giants didn't win, this was the line in the sand game to come out and say, if you don't get up against the team that embarrassed you in the grand final, you might as well pack it in. So they had to come out and win this game, and they did. They played all right for most of it. Second quarter, the Tugs absolutely dominated and couldn't put on the scoreboard. Um, but Toby Green was the difference. It was basically the Dusty versus Green show. And uh, Green had more... Uh, he took his opportunities a lot better, you'd say. Um, he kicked five goals. He had 18 possessions and seven score involvements. Uh, he also had eight marks as well. But he was just... It was fantastic. The goals that he kicked were huge. And not only does that get your team up on the scoreboard, it gets it up. Obviously, it's a huge impact. He makes the team... He makes the players stand taller. It's been said. All the players say that. And he's a he's a leader. He leads by example. 
I'd say rather than you know in turn, I don't think he's a he's a vocal leader in that sense, but but he's definitely led by example. And it was an interesting comment because BT was kind of um, I think it was BT who said he was surprised when he got whacked in the head by Vlosten and didn't react. But as um, Hodgie rightly pointed out, he's not someone who really. Um, goes back at you for doing something to him. He'll he'll go in when he's trying to aggravate someone or um, trying to get under somebody's skin, if that's his job for the day, or he'll go and uh, help his teammates out. But if something happens to him, he's a little bit selfless like that, um, which is good to see. And it was a clear example um, on Friday night. Uh, without, without Toby Green, so when he's out of the side, the team lose 48% of the time. That he doesn't play. That's a, that's a huge indicator of what influence Toby Green has on that side, and the Tigers will be extremely disappointed with that game because it's definitely one that they could have they could have won. Um, and with the personnel they were lacking, I think they'll be um, extremely disappointed in not getting the points there. And it's not like a lot of people can say, "Well, they, yeah, they were missing a lot of players. It wasn't really one of those games. They came in as the underdogs, but still, if you had opportunities to win a game." And like Dimmer said, it was a Richmond. It looked like a Richmond game. The pressure was there, um, the territory domination was there, the tackling was there. They had opportunities and they just couldn't finish off. But again, GWS didn't fix up the problems that they had. The problems they had was not not um, not finishing their opportunities. The problems they had was generating enough opportunities inside fifties, um, and that still hasn't been cleaned up. So I, I don't know how much faith we have in GWS still. Even though it sounds strange because I did beat the Tigers, but yeah, I'm not I'm not completely sold. And uh, something I'm I I'm not sold on is the idea of Taggers taking players off the ball, important players. So what we saw on Patrick Cripps on the weekend was an absolute joke. Um, so to have, and I don't blame Jed Anderson, you know, for, for doing it because he's getting away with it. So he wants to help his team win the game. That's fine. You do what you have to do. But the Umps can't let that go on, and it's been it's been harped on for a long time, even. Dwayne Russell mentioned it months ago, and he said, "This enough is enough." So someone um, recorded the from from the stands uh, stoppage in play where Jed Anderson literally well, was not looking at the ball whatsoever, just focused on Cripps and basically tackles him down to the ground so he can't impact a, a contest. That's crap. I mean, you can tag, you can push him, um, and get under their skin. You can make sure when they get the ball, then you tackle them, or you try and do your best to make sure legally within the rules of the game, that they can't impact the game. They can't impact the contest. That's your job as a tagger. But to do that, and like I said, I blame the umpires. You've got to have awareness. The, the, my biggest fear for this, though, is that because this is going to be brought up now and um, Carlton want to please explain from the AFL and whatnot, that they'll go too far the other way like we saw with holding the ball. So there's going to be teething issues no matter what. So if it, I'm just afraid there's going to be too many silly, silly free kicks paid around the contest now because the umps are looking out for that. So I hope it doesn't go to the other extreme where soft ones are being paid, but they're really like, they're just the obvious ones. And uh, I know it's hard to officiate the game, but you've got how many umpires on the field? Surely someone can spot that. That was crap. That was absolutely crap. And um, something else was crap was Nathan Buckley's 48th birthday because he was he would have been um, distraught with what happened. On Sunday, not the fact that they lost the game because you, you can very easily lose to the Eagles, especially when you're missing, you know, three of your, your best players. Scott Pendlebury was laid out, and then you've got Steel Sidebottom still out, and Jeremy Howe, who are crucial, you know, cogs in, the, in that machine of Collingwood. Um, but that game was just ridiculous. They started well, Collingwood. They played one quarter of footy, and 
the Eagles kicked 15 goals in the last three quarters, and they're the shots that because you look at St Kilda and like they're so accurate, they're extremely accurate. Why they're accurate? You look where they're taking their shots from. The West Coast Eagles were extremely accurate as well, but you look at where they took their shots from. Ridiculous angles. I mean, Josh Kennedy was was at another level, and uh, Oscar Allen is soon is quickly becoming one of the one of the best uh, marks in the game, uh, like contested marks, and then he's he's uh, consistent at um, his goal kicking. I think it was fantastic and elite performance from from the Eagles and their forwards um there's been a lot of titles slammed on on the pies this year and Tom Tom have said they're the best team in the comp they're the flag favorites some have said they're not the real deal injuries will hurt them they've been up and down a lot um but they've got really they've got games against Frio Sydney and Adelaide coming up uh and Melbourne in consecutive weeks so and they'll win all them they should win all them so it'll just be a little slight bump in the road I think I wouldn't be worried if I was a Collingwood fan and um Speaking of Collingwood fans, we didn't get an email from Frankie, the the Pies supporter this week, who I, I did say I'd give him an apology if they beat the Eagles. I didn't think they would, so yeah, there you go. Um, don't have to apologise this week. Uh, the Eagles, last point I'm going to go through for the Eagles. Are they really set to fly? Because they looked they looked extremely impressive. We know that. The 66-point win, it was frightening. The ball movement was definitely the best we've seen all season. Um, they, they also took 14 marks inside 50 against the best defence in the competition. Um, Nick Nat looked dominant. Tim Kelly looks fine. like he's got that connection. And that, um, I guess, yeah, he's gelling with his teammates well and it's probably the most comfortable he's looked in that midfield. So I think, you know, when those... They're all ticks. Huge ticks. Um, and also, when they're taking over 75 marks a game, they're unbeaten still. They took 86 on the weekend. So their mark and kick game is just phenomenal. And if they can do it against the Pies, despite how many players they're, they're missing... They have to be taken seriously, and they there was a, a huge statement made to the comp on Sunday. But I think the, there's still the question that um, when they're travelling, can they still have that same impact? It's all it's all well and good to do it at your home track in front of your fans when you can sleep in your own bed and wake up uh, on game day in your own house, drive to the stadium, everything's great. But when they were put on the Gold Coast in the hub, they didn't show much at all. They only had wins... Yeah, they only had wins uh, again against Sydney and Adelaide when they were in the hub. And they lost to Gold Coast, Brisbane and Port. Um, so the word flat track bullies has been thrown around. I'm not 100% sold. I want to see a little bit more from West Coast. But yeah, if you play that way, I mean, and they've got it. They've got it. Actually, they have got a few um, a few games coming up um, at Optus Stadium. So they will be the benchmark for the next few weeks. But there's still question marks yet. If they, I want to see them travel see what they can do outside of Perth. All right, that's enough rambling from me today. Um, I think I've said enough. Um, I'm going to end, as I always do, with Zabo Shaw things. Um, my first one being, the next 20 days will absolutely fly by. Um, I can't wait um, for this footy uh, marathon to begin. Every single night we get a game. Every single day there's going to be a game of footy. How good is that? Like I said, my girlfriend cannot wait. She's been crying of joy for the last couple of weeks as soon as she heard and it's going to be fantastic. Um, my second sure thing is another contender will emerge this weekend. So, not this weekend, this week. We don't really go by weekends anymore. But this week it was the Eagles. But once again, there will be an overreaction. I'm sure one team that's kind of on the fringe of like making or breaking it, um, they will have a huge win and they'll be dubbed as another flag contender. I'm sure of it. Just overreactions are great these days. And with so much footy coming up day after day, we're going to get a whole heap of news. Um, 
the last thing is, my third and final thing is, sure thing is, I won't know when to release my next podcast because the days and rounds are all over the place at the moment. Um, I will work it out though, and uh, I'll be hoping to bring my ridiculous opinions again sometime soon to you. Please give me a message, comment, or opinion or abuse at james.sabo at sportsmobile.com or on Twitter at sabojames or wherever you want. I will make sure I read it and I will read it out. And I really do hope, guys, that your team wins this round unless you're playing the Tigers. And until next time, take care of yourselves.